0: Five. Is everything working over Mhm. The Bible says that uh, uh, those who worship Him worship Him in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, we think that we have to have uh, we think that we have to have worship teams up in front of us to lead us into worship. You know, They say that's what the purpose of a worship team or a worship leader is, is to lead us into worship. But the Bible makes the distinction that it's the Holy Spirit who is the leader of worship. He's the one who leads us in worship. Um, we don't worship out of rote. We don't worship out of uh, necessity. We worship because it's been put into our hearts to lift up, exaltation and glory and honor and uh, love and and, uh, and praise to God. And that comes from the heart, from the spirit moving within the people whenever they gather together. Whenever we gather together, it isn't to keep some scheduled meeting. That's not why we've come here just so we can say, well, we've kept our scheduled meeting. I mean, that's not the reason. I hope that's not the reason that you're here. Uh, it's not the reason that I'm here. Uh, you know, I, I don't get up here and, and preach because you know, it's my duty to get up here and every week to have something prepared to say to you guys. That's not the purpose of, of, of that. <clears throat> we gather together because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We find great um, comfort and great a spiritual blessing from hearing the preaching of the Word of God. It is uh, food to our soul, and we. I am thankful that the Lord has given uh, us a church that gathers together, and a people that gathers together that desires to hear this. But if we're just coming here out of rote, out of a schedule... Uh, out of uh, necessity uh, so that we might look good in our community or look good amongst other Christians even. You know, we went to our meeting and everything. Then we've completely missed the whole entire reason that we're here today. Um, And then as far as worship is concerned, you know, men can't lead you into worship. I mean, I I can't lead you into worship. A band, if we got up here with the best musicians in the world, with the best songs in the world, no matter how Uh, no matter how doctrinally correct they are or not doctrinally correct they are, emotionally driven they are, they can't lead you into worship. They can lead you into an emotional state, but they can't lead you into worship. All these things you see on TV and radio and you see these people that are up there and they're playing and everybody's just getting into that stuff. I'm not saying that sometimes that people's hearts may not be truly moved and worshiping the Lord because of what they're hearing and what they're singing and things like that. But music... People up leading you and telling you all these things and saying all these things and singing to you does not lead you into worship. The Spirit of God is the only thing that leads us into worship. And He's going to lead us into truth. He's not going to lead us into falsehood. He's going to lead us into truth. If there's anything that comes from this pulpit here or podium or stand or whatever you want to call it that's, that's false, that's definitely me. That's all me. If it's coming from any of you, that's false, it's definitely you. But if there's any truth that comes from any of this, it's surely of the Lord. Because He's truth. It's surely of the Lord because the Holy Spirit is here to guide us into all truth. It's to teach us truth. And it's if He's to lead us into worship, it's going to be by the Spirit, not by the flesh. It's going to be by the Spirit. And it's going to be according to and in accordance with the truth. Okay? And so, you know, whenever we meet together, it's not some liturgical thing, like I was saying a minute ago, that we put down a, we have to do this, 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 or this, and follow out this little outline, or anything like that. No. We gather together, and as the Spirit moves upon the brethren, as the Spirit moves upon the pastors, as the Spirit moves upon, you know, the congregation, however, that's where we want, it, we want to do what the Spirit leads us to do. If he brother is given to speak, or any of the other brothers are given to speak, they need to speak. Let them speak. If it's to pray, let them pray. If it's to sing, let them sing. These are the things that the Spirit does Is it leads us into that worship and that freedom that we have to come and not be so bound to some sort of an organizational, you know, outline. Um, all we do is bind uh, the freedom that we have in our worship. And so, and I'm not here saying that everything should just be willy-nilly, you know, or anything like that. The Bible is clear that everything should be done decent. We need to be, we need to follow the New Testament pattern on, on what is scriptural worship. What is scriptural worship? Uh, 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 preaching what is scriptural ordinances things like that that the Lord does give us guidance on that and in those things yes we want to adhere to those and we want to be uh, be faithful to those as the Lord helps us to be faithful uh, in those things but um, we we surely don't have to be tethered uh, to some uh, ritual or some organizational uh, scheme and follow that as many have seen before, you know, and especially those who watch, faithfully watch uh, on YouTube or Facebook or whatever. There are the Spirit leads us to discuss things here that we might not want to go on on the thing. But sometimes I've not even preached. We've just discussed things. And so we do that. The Spirit leads us to that. And mm-hmm. this, that's just as important and just as much a part of worship as, as me standing here coming from this podium. Uh, delivering some sort of a, a message and everything so I just hope everybody understands that and realizes that uh, that's, uh, that's, that's at least my understanding of it and that's where my heart is in it I want to hear as much from you as because uh, you have just as much of an experience with the Lord as I do uh, and and the Lord has not only gifted me but he has gifted other men brother Larry uh, definitely uh, has been uh, given to uh Uh, to speak on the Lord and on the gospel and everything. and So uh, anybody that the Lord has called or given something to say on those things, I definitely don't have a problem with that as we gather together. Um, I was thinking this morning on the fifth chapter of Matthew, um, especially these uh, uh, first 12 verses. We know these as the Beatitudes. Um, I'm going to show some of my ignorance here. Uh, They're called the Beatitudes. And to be honest, you may have to enlighten me on this, brother, because I don't think I've ever even looked it up. I don't even know what Beatitudes is. I don't know what the word Beatitude means. Why they're called the Beatitudes. Um... Now I know that there's preachers in the past that I have uh, listened to that says because they look at these verses here as things that we have to do so that we get blessed. Therefore, they are called the B B E attitudes. These are the attitudes you should be doing. You know uh, that may have been Warren Wiersbe or somebody like that. I can't remember. Some one of those old commentators of old. Had all the the B series, you know, be this, be that, be this, be that, whatever. I may even have that wrong too. Just so forgive me, but <clears throat> I don't know what beatitudes means. And maybe I need to go look that up because everybody calls this the beatitudes. Uh, it's even head headlined up here in my Bible at the top of the page. It says the beatitudes. So uh, forgive me for not knowing that. Uh, my academics is lacking. Uh, But we are going to look at this sermon that the Lord Jesus gave. But let me read the first 12 verses here and then let's see what the Spirit has to say to us this morning about these things. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I'm just going to end right there. I want to just deal with those things that the Lord had spoken uh, on uh, and get to whatever we get to. Um, The first thing that I would like to point your eyes to is the first two verses here. and Because we know that before this took place, Jesus had been talking to a multitude of people. And it says here, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. So Jesus removed himself from the multitudes... And he went up into the mountain, and his disciples followed after him. And it says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... If you notice here, the this Beatitudes, this great sermon that everybody talks about, that Jesus does in all this teaching that even pagans refer to. You know, this great sermon of Jesus. Many people think that Jesus delivered this sermon to the masses and was telling all the masses, this is how you ought to be. And if you do all these things, if you are poor in spirit, then you're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you are mournful, then you will be comforted. If you are meek, you will inherit the earth. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, then you will be filled. And it's looked upon as an activity or a conditional thing that you must do. And if you are like this, then this is what you're going to receive. And I've heard that preached a lot my whole entire life, from many, many a preacher preached that way. But Jesus was not preaching to the multitude. He was preaching to his disciples. He went away into a mountain, withdrew himself from the multitudes, and the only ones that he had around him at the at this point is his disciples, those who have been given to know and to understand spiritual things, those who had come by God's grace, had been given faith, born of God, given faith, given given a trust in Christ Jesus, given a spiritual understanding, they had followed after Christ. That's what disciple means. It's a follower of Jesus Christ or a learner of Jesus Christ. Someone who is learning from Jesus Christ. These men were coming as disciples once taught of God. Those were the ones that Jesus was addressing in this sermon. He's not addressing the multitude. So first and foremost, we see, and if this is not true, I can't find anywhere else in Scripture where the Word of God and the things of God and the spiritual teaching of, of this Bible is directed to anybody except those who are the disciples of Jesus Christ. To those who are the people of God. This is who these messages, this is who everything that is in here, this revelation of Jesus Christ And this is what this is. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a rule book by which you have to live by so that you might be accepted by God. This is a revelation of the one who did live righteously and has made you accepted in the Beloved, made you accepted before God. It's a revelation of Him. And therefore, all preaching, all teaching, all uh, uh, information as it's to be known about that one man, Jesus Christ, is revealed in this scripture, and this scripture is only revealed to those who are his. Therefore, the message of this Bible is not made for the masses, not made for the multitudes, but it is made for the people of God. Now some are surely going to say, so you don't believe in preaching to everybody? The Bible says that we are to preach to all. That we're to go out and we're to preach this. And the word they always use, the theological phrase, I always uses, we are to to uh, preach the gospel indiscriminately. We're to go out and we're not to pick and choose who we who we preach the gospel to. Well, brethren, I'm not necessarily saying that that's that you know that that's a wrong saying that we should we should preach wherever God leads us to preach. We don't know who the elect of God are. We don't know that. But see, a lot of people have that mentality because they believe the preaching of the gospel is what gets people saved. They believe that the preaching of the gospel is what gets people saved, and we don't know who are out there that needs to be saved, so we need to preach uh, to all people, everywhere, because we don't know who are the elect and who are not the elect. That's how the Calvinists look at it at least. The free willers, they think that we ought to be preaching of the gospel because that's how everybody's going to get saved is through the preaching of the gospel. The Calvinists believe that we've got to get out there and preach the gospel because that's how men are uh, are, uh, uh, born again. That they're regenerated by the preaching of the gospel. Therefore, we have to preach the gospel to get them saved. No difference between the Arminian and the Calvinist, right? We've talked about that many times. However, the preaching of the gospel indiscriminately, as we say, or some say, The preaching of the gospel indiscriminately is like right now. I don't know who are God's elect among those who are gathered here. The Bible tells us that we have wheat among tares. Tares among wheat. We have sheep and goats all together. There is a mixed multitude. When they came out of Egypt, there was a mixed multitude. We live among a mixed multitude. We live among those who are... Professors, but not possessors of the blessings of God. We live among those who say they are Christian, but yet not are. We we live among those, if if you allow me the timely phrase, who say they are Jews, but they are not. We are the true Jews. We are the true circumcision. We are the true wheat. We are the true uh, sheep. We are the true people of God, And the people of God worship God in spirit and in truth, right? And Jesus, whenever he came aside from the multitude and came to his people, he was telling them something about who they were. And that's what this sermon is all about. This is what all these blessed are about. Now, somehow we try to make this more dignified. And instead of saying blessed, we say blessed. Now, I may be wrong about this, but to me, I don't know, when I read that in English, it says blessed. But for some reason, I don't know if it's just to put an put a emphasis on the fact that if you have the dignity to be this type of person, the reward is yours. In the latter part of the verse, and therefore it makes it sound more regal. It makes it sound more lavish. It makes it sound more uh, uh, important. Blessed are those. Yeah, I might be wrong about that. Completely wrong about that. But whenever I look at this, I say I see blessed are the poor, meaning that the people that is in 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 view here are people that something has happened to. They are passive in this. Blessed are they, makes me think, and again, this may be just my ignorance of language, ignorance of uh, grammar, or whatever. When someone uses blessed, it is saying that this person is such because they are such. But brethren, blessed are the poor. Those who are poor are blessed to be poor there's a difference I can actively be poor and that doesn't mean God is going to bless me because I actively became poor now granted the word poor here is not talking about monetary wealth how much money you got in your wallet okay it's not talking about that I'll try to move to that here in a minute but These blessed verses here are not a be this and you will get this. It's not a conditional thing. This is a statement of fact that Jesus is making to these brethren. Those who are the disciples, those who are the children of God, those who are the the ones born from above, they have been blessed with these kind of attitudes. Blessed with these kind of demeanors. Blessed with this kind of mindset. It's a blessing from God. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says, in Ephesians 1-2, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Brethren, I believe that these are some of the spiritual blessings that God has blessed us with. He has blessed us with being poor in spirit. He has blessed us with being mournful. He has blessed us with being meek, with being uh, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. He has blessed us for be, uh, uh, with being merciful, blessed us with being pure in heart, blessed us with being peacemakers, blessed us by being persecuted for Christ's sake. Some people say, well, I don't think that's a blessing. Well, brother, neither is being poor to some people. Neither is being a mourner. Nobody likes to be a mourner. Although there are those people out there that you hate talking to them, because every time you talk to them, it's... You know, gloom, despair, and agony on me. You know, the old hee-haw tune. You know? You surely don't want to ask Sister So-and-So, well, how is your day today? And You're going to hear it. She's going to let you know. <laughs> See, when we look at all these things that we are blessed with, to the natural eye, those are not lovely things to be blessed with. But to the child of grace... Those are things that are wonderful. In Psalms fifty one, I believe it's Psalms fifty one. I may be going on another. Let's get a tour here. I think it's Psalms 51. Yeah, verse 17. The Bible says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise. See, he says up above that, he says, For Thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. But it says the sacrifices of God, those sacrifices that God is well-pleased with, those sacrifices that are a sweet savor in God's nostrils, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And that is that not the very gist of who all these are that is in view here in Matthew 5? Those who are poor in spirit. Those who are mournful. Those who are meek. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. That, If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, that means you realize that there's none in you. Right? You hunger and thirst for righteousness that you know you don't have. And why don't you know you have that? Because you're a meek person. You are not a proud person. You're a meek person. And you're a meek person because you are mourning over the fact that you are poor in spirit. You see how all these are interconnected? I hunger and thirst for righteousness because God has given me the eyes to see the the understanding to know that I am poor in spirit. There is nothing in me that is worthy of anything. I don't have anything for me to to give to God. I don't have anything to present to God that could merit a relationship with Him, to merit any kind of of favor from Him. I'm poor in spirit. My spirit is empty and void of any righteousness or holiness. It's empty and void of anything, of any worth. People say, well, God, we must have been very worthy worth a lot because god loved us and died for us and so obviously our worth is a lot in god's eyes listen the bible says that god looked down upon the uh, inhabitants of the earth and saw that the intent of their heart was evil continually he the bible says that he accounted us as nothing as grasshoppers nothing that's who we are in nature in adam now praise God, the child of grace has been loved with an everlasting love before the foundation of the world. So we have been made to differ than everybody else in the fact that our relationship to God doesn't depend on our relationship to Him and how we are. No, our relationship was set apart from the foundation of the world. We were set apart as His loved ones. We were set apart as His His beloved. We were set apart as His blessed. And we were set apart in Christ Jesus. See, our relationship with God doesn't have anything to do with our activity on earth. And it surely doesn't have anything to do with us letting God have control of our life. It doesn't have anything to do with us yielding ourselves. That isn't how our relationship is formed. And it isn't how our relationship is maintained. Our relationship with God is based... Completely and totally, fully, upon the fact that we were set apart from the foundation of the world and given to Christ and in union with Him in Christ Jesus, blessed with all spiritual blessings. That's what Ephesians is telling us. Blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as He had chosen us in Him. This blessing, this being blessed, these spiritual blessings, all come because we have been united with Christ and that was before the foundation of the world. It has nothing to do with anything that we do in this lifetime. Nothing to do. You being in the beloved has nothing to do with your activity on this earth by making yourself poor or mourning or being meek or being hungry and thirsty for spiritual or religious things. It has nothing to do with that. You are not blessed because you did those things. No, Jesus is saying, listen, if this is your spirit, you have been made a sacrifice unto me. You have been made a sacrifice unto me. You've been made that way. He says there in in that psalm, He says, He doesn't desire other sacrifices, but a broken and contrite spirit. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise. All of our other efforts, all of our other uh, so-called achievements, the Lord despises. A broken and contrite heart. What is a broken and contrite heart? And I think this is why the Lord put this at the very beginning of this uh, teaching so that we might get and understand this, that, listen, without God giving us a broken and contrite heart and a contrite spirit, we cannot worship Him. We cannot be a sweet-smelling savor unto Him. We cannot be pleasing unto Him. He is only pleased in His Son. Therefore, when we come into worship, when we come into our how we view ourselves before God and who we are before God and what He has made us to be is that we are nothing. That we have nothing and could ever be anything. But that it is all in His Son. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit are the ones who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. Those who have nothing. Look at the fourth one. It says, fourth verse, Blessed are they that mourn. Whenever I am poor in spirit and I have been brought to understand that I have nothing that I can uh, give to God, that I have nothing that I can do for God, that I have nothing that I can do uh, on God's behalf, then what happens? I begin to mourn within myself. Paul, seeing... His poor spirit said, Oh, wretched man that I am. That sinner that was praying next to the the publican said, Have mercy upon me. I'm nothing. I don't have anything. And his heart mourned because he had nothing to give to God. He had nothing that he could present to God. He had nothing that he could do for God. And his heart mourned for that. Over that, and then look at verse five. Blessed are the meek. What is the meek? Well, the meek is the one who's not the proud, boastful person. The publican was the proud guy up there saying, hey, I'm thankful that you're not, that you haven't made me like this guy here." Look at him over here groveling in the dirt. You know, I'm glad you haven't made me like this uh, publican. See, that's not meek. Meek. Those who are meek, doesn't necessarily mean weak by the way, but meek means that they realize their position. They realize that they know know, and they are quiet. They know their place. A servant that is meek is one who knows who their master is and that their place is at his feet. We are the footstools of God. We are the ones who are at His feet serving the Master and we do so in meekness. We do so knowing that we have nothing to give to God and so any service that we might do as His servants is as He does and bids. At the end of the day, we are unprofitable servants in and of ourselves. It is God who works in us to will and to do a His good pleasure. And we are meek. We know our place. We aren't striving to raise our status. We're not trying to raise our uh, position. We realize that we are poor. And our hearts mourn over that. And we are content in the place that we are. Look at verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness while we know that we are poor in spirit, while our hearts mourn for the fact that we are like we are, and we are content to know that we can never change our position or know our place, uh, or improve our status in God's sight, we are given a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. We desire a righteousness Not a righteousness of our own though. Those who are blessed to hunger and thirst for righteousness are not hungering and thirsty after providing their own righteousness. They are hungry and thirsty for an outside righteousness because they know that they are poor in spirit. They know that they have nothing to offer God and could ever offer God. Therefore, they hunger and thirst for a righteousness that is not their own. Because only a righteousness that is perfect will ever be accepted by God. Therefore, they hunger and thirst for that righteousness. And the only righteousness that is there is the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, they hunger and thirst for Christ's righteousness. Now, do we also hunger and thirst for that to be evident in our lives? Yeah, I love, I hate my sin. I hate when I sin. I hate that my flesh. Cannot do anything for God. I hate that. But brethren, that is n- not my motive to be accepted with God. Let me change that. Let me get up and rise up from my status of being weak-willed and put forth my effort in doing religious things to be pleasing to God. No! I desire for God to make within my heart create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Make me not want to do those things. Make me not want to uh, uh, follow after the lust of my flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Make me like that. Make me where I restrain my sin. Keep me from these things. Yes, I desire those things. But brethren, I, I know that within myself that even the things that I do in the flesh that are good are not pleasing to God. He's not pleased with those sacrifices. But he is pleased with a broken and contrite heart that says, I can do nothing. I could could never be anything. And so therefore I look for a righteousness that is not my own. Is that not what Abraham did? Abraham looked and he seen the righteousness of Christ from afar off. and, And Abraham said, that's my righteousness. Right there's my righteousness. He accounted it, Christ's righteousness. He accounted it for His righteousness. That's my righteousness right there. And He hungered and thirsted. He longed to see Christ's day. He longed to see that righteousness. And he, He did see it. He is experiencing that righteousness even now. And so will we, brethren. It says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Brethren, the pure in heart are those who the Lord has taken out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. We have that new man that is in us. That new creation, born from above, that is created in righteousness and holiness. See, that thing is perfect. It cannot sin. That's that spirit man, that inner man that is in us. That is pure. See, our hearts are not pure. But that which is put in us, which is not us, not us in this atom flesh at least, is not us. It's pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. What does that mean to you can get two people to quit fighting, and that's who you are. No. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those we are blessed by God if we are able what does the Bible say? The Bible says that that we are to live at peace with all men if, if possible, right? To do do as much that we can in us is to is to live at peace with all men. We are to seek after peace. We are not to be uh, 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 disputable all the time. We are not to be argumentative all the time. We are to try to live at peace with all men. That doesn't mean compromise the gospel. doesn't mean compromise the faith. Right? It doesn't mean that. But it means that in all things that we do, we try to seek after peace. Listen. If I have a, a a person that disagrees with me, I, I try to live at peace with them as much as possible, without compromising the gospel. I don't just jump all over them and just say I hate you know I hate everything that you are teaching. Therefore, I hate you. Therefore, I will not have anything to do with you. I had a guy just recently who uh, disagrees with uh, with some of the, the viewpoints that I have on some doctrine. Um, on uh, number one, uh, God being the author of sin. Uh, he disagrees with how I, what I think about that. And, uh, and he, this is his exact words. He says, you know, I've discussed this with you in the past. I didn't even know who he was. He's going under a different name on Facebook now than he used to. So I didn't know who he was. I was engaging in a conversation with him. And he told me, he said, I don't want to have anything to do. And I will never have anything to do with you because you hold to this. And uh, you knew me by, we've had conversations, but you knew me under a different name. He never did tell me who that name was, so he's keeping himself hidden from who he was. But, you know, he told me, I give you all this stuff to read and you didn't read it, obviously, because you still are holding to the blah, 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 all this stuff. And so it was just vitriol. There was no reasoning and sitting down and discussing it. There was no, you know, none of that stuff. It was just, I've written you off and you're done. You know, I will have nothing to do with you. And of course, he's going all over Facebook warning everybody that shares anything of mine. He'll go underneath and say, I hope you know Michael Smith believes blah, blah, blah. You know, And everything is, is preaching heresy and all this kind of stuff. Listen, we're trying to live at peace with all... Listen, there's a lot of these guys out here that I disagree with a lot of their stuff. But I try to live at peace with them. I go to Bible conferences and there's guys there that preach things that I don't see it the same way. But I try to live at peace with them. Am I going to compromise what I believe? Absolutely not. I mean, there's been times that I've had a conference. There's a guy been preached something that I disagree with and I've got right up and something that I've preached totally contradicts what he preached. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with the guy doing that with me. Getting up and preaching something and saying I don't see it that way and preaching something different. I want to be at peace with the brother and I'll just sit there and discuss it and we can discuss it all day long and go to the scriptures. and and At the end of the day, we may still not agree. But I want to live at peace with that brother because if he is a child of grace, if he is for us, he's not against us. If he does believe the gospel, the Lord has us at different understandings. And I'm not am I gonna force that on him? I can't, because I can't teach him. I can't teach nobody the truth. Only the Spirit teaches the truth. So all of us are at different levels of teaching. That's that's a problem. I'm getting off on a high horse here, I think. That's the problem with most of what is called Christianity today, especially among the sovereign grace people, is that they believe that just because you're born again, you should be able to understand everything in this book, and everybody should have the exact same level of understanding. If I point it out to you, you've you've been warned, now you need to believe it. Listen, brethren, there's been men that have said things to me for years and years and years that I thought, that is not what that is saying. And then all of a sudden, one day, I'm reading this thing, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just says, they were right all along. And I was like, I was wrong. And vice versa. Guys that I've been sharing things with over and over and over again, I was able to see it not because I was studious not because I'm any smarter not because I went to a seminary or anything like that the Lord was pleased to allow me to see that and then all of a sudden now they see it now do I think ha 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 I told you I was right all along. no I rejoice in the fact that hey whenever I open up a book or something like that some of the old school Baptists or whatever and I start reading through and things that I've seen in the Scriptures, but yet I can't find that in all these creeds and confessions and Calvinist books and all that stuff out there and all of a sudden I'm reading through and a guy says something I'm like, that's what I've thought about that all along, but I've not ever heard anybody saying that. It rejoices my soul to hear that. And so, whenever the Holy Spirit teaches somebody something and maybe brings one person up to the level of understanding as He did somebody else, We don't boast about it because we had to be brought up to that level ourselves. We didn't know that until the Spirit taught us. And so, we live as peacemakers. We don't have all knowledge. God hasn't downloaded the whole file. Okay? He hasn't downloaded everything into us. He does that in little bits. And listen, as much as people hate to hear this, God has also ordained predestinated that heresies come. There is heresies to come in the Lord's churches. So that those who are the people of God might be approved. Those things are going to come up. And it's going to if it's true they'll stand. If it's not it won't. And so someone continues to hold and becomes divisive over things like that. See, that's the thing. The word heresy, and I don't mean to get too far down this rabbit trail, the word heresy means a divider. One who is a heretic is one who is a divisive person, a divider. And the Bible tells us that the Lord hates those who, uh, who make division among the brethren. Right? That's one of the things that he hates. A heretic is a person not necessarily that is just preaching false doctrine, or a false doctrine is a heretical doctrine, it divides in the fact that truth and error is not going to coexist as the same thing. In the church of Jesus Christ, who is the pillar and the ground of truth, when error comes in, it's going to cause a division because the people of God are going to recognize it as error. Therefore, those who are heretics, who continue to press that, press that, press that, after two or three admonitions, you need to have nothing to do with them. Right? There is discipline that needs to take place in the congregation whenever that takes place. So there is importance in this. But brethren, listen, just because there has to be it, we've had to do that here. When we discipline something over divisive things, or whenever somebody is... uh, Uh, we do not fellowship with any more. That doesn't mean that we hate them or we dislike them or we're never going to have anything to do with them ever again. Because the whole whole reasoning for that is for restitution. The whole issue of that is so that we might come back together into fellowship. And so for a brother to say, well, I wrote you off. I'm not ever going to have anything to do with you ever again because that's what you believe. That's what you teach. They still believe the gospel. I have. I can go a long way. and still on some okay Can we congregate together? Maybe not. Maybe not. But I still, can love that brother. I can still care for that brother. I can. I. I, I can still pray for him that the Lord would show him his error, and vice versa. He can do that for me if he thinks I'm an error. And live at peace. And if he seeks to have restitution, let's try it. Let's do that. That's the whole point of it. Be peacemakers. That doesn't come naturally though, right? Because my nature is just like the guy that I was telling you about. Okay, well, that's how you feel about me? Get all out of here. Don't talk to me ever again. Don't want to see you. Matter of fact, you're dead to me. How most guys are. That's how our flesh are. Listen, you know, I, I how many, how many people, how many sane people like to be gathered around people that don't like them and don't want to listen to them and don't agree with anything that they do. Nobody likes that. I want to find people that agree with me. I want to find people that like me. I want to find people that say, Hey, you know what? You're right. I like that. Yeah. But guess what? It's not hard to make peace with people that agree with you, but it's people that disagree with you. And the Bible says here that the children of God are blessed as peacemakers. See guys running around all over the place on the internet that their main main mission, their main goal is to dig out and to dig up and to portray everybody who's wrong and their whole entire life is consumed with exposing everybody's errors. Hey, will don't you just preach the gospel? The gospel is going to, if you preach the Word of God, it's going to expose error itself. You don't have to. That doesn't mean that we should mark them out, those who are wrong. Joel Osteen, those guys, you know, men among the Calvinists that are preaching heretical things. Yeah, point that out. Point that error out, and then let's pray for the brethren. Let's move on down the road and lift up Christ. Okay, our whole our whole ministry shouldn't be pointing out the errors of others. Let's let's preach the gospel, not compromise, not accept the error, but let's deal with it, move on, be peacemakers. That right there can only happen by grace. I can tell you. It it can only happen in my heart if it's done by grace. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. See, this is where the the thing takes the big turn. See, all these other things, you know, I can fool myself and, and act like I'm poor in spirit. Have you ever met that person who tries to act humble? And inevitably, if you listen to them just a little bit long enough, Their pride definitely shines through. Their humility is definitely a costume that they have put on. Those who are poor in spirit, those who are mournful, those who are meek, those who are hungry and thirsty after righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers... Those generally are the ones who are going to be persecuted for the sake of Christ. They're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. As a matter of fact, in verse eleven, he said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Listen, brethren, and again, in among those who call themselves Christians. There are a lot of people who are reviled against because of their hold to the doctrines of grace. Listen, the free willers out there of the world, they hate our gospel, and they hate those who are preaching it for the most part. They don't like it. They don't want to hear this gospel. They hated Christ. They hated his gospel. And those who are his children who hold to the same gospel and hold to the same teachings, they're going to be hated too. And Jesus here is saying that count it a joy. Count it as a blessing that you are being persecuted on account of this because the fact remains that I too was persecuted, reviled, hated, misaligned all these things for this sake. And if you are being reviled, persecuted... Now, there are people out there that claim that they're being persecuted for their Christianity, their quasi-Christianity, their free-will, religious Christianity. They're saying they're being persecuted by that. But brethren, we're not talking about I go to church. Oh, you go to church? I don't like you. Okay, We're not talking about, oh, you believe in Jesus? Well, I'm a a Muslim, I don't like you. We're not talking about that. We're talking about those who look to Christ's righteousness alone as their righteousness. Those who look to their depravity and look to Christ's righteousness. Those who look to the sovereign salvation of God. Those who believe in Christ alone and know that they can't do anything on their own those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are hungry and thirsty after someone else's righteousness on their behalf, those who are uh, peacemakers, those these people who have these characteristics are going to be scorned by those of this world. They're going to be scorned. But Jesus says, rejoice and be exceeding glad For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Rejoice and be glad, for you are counted among those who have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Rejoice and be glad, because Christ is your salvation. Be glad, because Christ is your great reward. And this isn't a condition that you have to keep in order to get all these things. This is a fact of who you are. If you've been made to be this type of person, you have been blessed because you are counted as one of His. So what is it that that is ours? Because He said right here in verse 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now ultimately Christ is our reward. But what else is our reward if this is who we are made to be? Not who we become, not who we try to be, not who we work after, not who we yield ourselves so that we can be, not who we let God make us be. But if we have been transformed by that new creation that has come from God into a person with the demeanor of being poor in spirit, knowing we have nothing to give to God and to present to God, to being those who mourn after our own inability and mourn over our own sin and have been given to be meek in our demeanor, knowing that everything that we have, we have received of God and hungering and thirsting after His righteousness. If we have been made to be these kind of people, what is our reward? Well, it says, verse 3, if we're this kind of people, then ours is the kingdom of heaven. If we are these people, the blessed, (coughs) we are going to be comforted. If we are these people, if we are part of this group of people, the called according to His purpose, the elect of God, the sheep of God, the wheat, the beloved. If we are these people, our reward is that we shall inherit the earth. We shall be filled. We shall obtain mercy. We shall see God. We are called the children of God. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. See, these things are our great reward. Those who are not part of the blessed cannot claim that. Will not receive that. Will not experience that. See, Jesus here is telling these disciples that has gathered themselves to Him out of the multitude... Jesus has gathered his men together, his people together. And he has said, "Rejoice for this is who you are." See Paul, I I keep going back to this and I and I, and I keep going back to this because It's a great example of our experience. If you're a child of God, you know this experience. If you're a child of God, you know this to be true, that your spirit has been made poor. You know that you mourn over your sin. You know that you cannot do anything. And that God has brought you to such a low level that you know that everything that I have, what makes me to differ? It's only God that makes me to differ. What is it that makes me have anything? It's only by grace. Everything is by grace. I don't have anything to claim. You know, nothing in my hands I bring. I go to Paul in that Romans 7 passage because Paul here is rejoicing to know that despite the fact that everything that is me is worthless, is vile, is wretched, is not any good and cannot do good, even though I am been given to know that this is who I am there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know that those who are His, those who are the redeemed, those who are His children, that everything that God has promised is theirs. Everything is yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And therefore, if I be His, if I be His child, if I be the blessed, if I be the beloved, if I have that, then all these things are mine. And it gives me comfort. He causes me to rejoice. That's why we come. That's why we worship here today. We are gathered to rejoice. We are gathered here to worship. We are gathered here to exalt and to honor and to give praise and glory to God because He has made us the blessed. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He has put us into the beloved. He has caused us to be a people separated and sanctified from the world, set apart from all that the world is. He has caused us to be a people who have been given to know our our emptiness, our, our, uh, our lack, our inability, but has given us a hope in Christ Jesus. We are blessed because of that. And the Bible says that all good and perfect gifts comes down From the Father of lights. Notice it didn't say from the Father of light. It said lights. Mm -hmm. Plural. From the Father of lights. Look at verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And if this light, and I would say that this light that it's talking about here comes from the light, Jesus said, I am the light. And now he's telling his disciples, ye are the light. Well, how are they the light? And Jesus is the light. Well, they are the light because Jesus is the light. They are his children. The children of the light are going to display the characteristics of the light. We were just talking about it a while ago. My great uncle Ted came in, seeing my son. As soon as he looked at him, he said, That's belongs to that guy. Whenever people see my children, they look at them and say, well, Man, you got your mom's eyes. Oh, you got your dad's nose. You got your, you know, we have the features. We show forth that which is of our fathers, right? We are blessed to be poor in spirit. We are blessed to be mournful, blessed to be meek, blessed to be hungry and thirsty, blessed to be merciful, blessed to be pure in heart, blessed to be peacemakers, blessed to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, because we are our Father. Our Father too the Bible says was poor in spirit not that he was not that he was lacking anything like we are but he was made to be poor in spirit on our behalf he was made to be sin even though he knew no sin he was made to mourn he was made and was meek Brethren, He was true righteousness. And He hungered and thirsted to do nothing but His Father's will. Brethren, we are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The characteristics that come in the child of grace that are not ones that we work to accomplish or work to do or muster up inside of ourselves No, these are blessings that come from above. They are supernatural. They are eternal. They are divine gifts of God to the child of grace in the new birth. And it's not something that we can manufacture. It's something that is produced in us by God as God lives in us. And these are inward works. These are inward works. Just like love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, all those gifts are spiritual gifts and they are all spiritual gifts that are worked on the inside of us. Therefore, we are the light of the world because men cannot manufacture these things. Men cannot manufacture a hope on Christ alone. It only comes from the divine gift of God. And therefore we're blessed if we have these things. Whenever we have these things, we become salt. We become light. Not that in and of ourselves we're restraining anything. Listen, if if God removed everybody that are His from among this world, which one of these days He's going to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, You're going to separate them. All that's left is putridness. All that's left is rot and filth. All that's going to be left is evil. See, as the child of grace, with God in us, displaying the things of God that's worked in us, that's the only good this world actually really sees. That's the only good this world sees. And any time that we push for godly principles, godly things, and things like that, that's the only good that is in this world, so to speak. But if that be removed, if the salt is removed, if the light is removed, there's nothing left but rot, and there's nothing left but darkness. But brethren, don't ever think that we, in and of ourselves, are that salt and that light. matter of fact, Christ is the salt. Christ is the light. There's actually some things we could probably look at here. If you remember in the sacrifices, whenever the sacrifice was to be made, the, 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 whenever that meat offering was to be made, the Bible says that you are not to bring that without salt. It is to be salted meaning that just any old meat wasn't going to do. It had to be one that had salt on it. Christ is that salt. Christ is the sacrifice, is the only acceptable sacrifice. So therefore, if we are sacrifices, as we've seen in Psalm 51, the sacrifice of the broken and tried heart, that is because we have Christ in us. If we have anything to show in this world, it's only because of Christ in us. So... Anyway, that's a, how my look on the Beatitudes, that's what they're really called, uh, has changed over the years. These are not be-attitudes, but because-attitudes. Because we are children of grace and blessed of God, these are the attitudes that He has given us. That's why I have a hard time with people whenever they come, and I visit with them about their salvation experience. It's about, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. Or I talk to them about their Christian walk. Well, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Or you talk to a pastor of a church. You know, how's the church doing and everything like that. Oh, we've got this program, this program, this program, this program, this many people, this much money. You see, it's all about what we're producing, but not what's being produced. See, it's all about what we are accomplishing and not what has been accomplished. See, the child of grace has been given to know that we are uh, uh, completely defunct and that everything has been done for us. And therefore, we rejoice in the news about that because there's no good news about us. I can't boast about our church. Any success? I mean, we, don't, we right now we know churches where they are getting rid of their pastors because their pastors aren't producing enough fruit in their church, making them grow. Ain't that ridiculous? That is utterly ridiculous. For any person who is a child of grace, especially one who believes in sovereign grace, to think that it's the preacher's responsibility to cause the church to grow. That's crazy. Or that, that, that it growing is what God wants us to do. The Bible says that he will add to his church as he sees fit. The Bible doesn't ever, ever put success of a church on the amount of people that are in it. It's crazy. But, again, that's another rabbit trail to go down. Does anybody got anything that you'd like to mention or add to? Or? Corrections or rebukes? I know that was an oversimplistic look at that, but uh, to me, sometimes... More simple is the most profound, in my opinion. My look at it, I'm more moved by sometimes the simplicity. As a matter of fact, even Paul said, you know, that we can be moved away from the simplicity which is in Christ. The simplicity is, is we can't do nothing, and Christ has done it all. Can't get much simpler than that. You do nothing, Christ did it all. That's what we preach. I pray that's what we continue to preach. And I pray that's what the Lord has given you to believe. All right. Anybody? Anything? All right. All right. Well, brother, we won't be here uh, next week. Uh, family's going to be going and taking a trip to St. Louis and spending the weekend up there uh, and everything. So we will not be here next weekend. So, Lord willing, though, we will see you back the week after that, which will be on the calendar right here the 12th the 12th of November oh the years went by quick so on the 12th of November we'll be back See, see everybody Lord willing unless the world comes to an end before then <laughs> anyway alright let's have a word prayer Father we thank you once again For all that you are. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've given us in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, and the things that we will experience and receive because of Christ Jesus. Father, we are grateful for your love and mercy. We're thankful for uh, salvation. Lord, we know that in and of ourselves we can do nothing for you. On your behalf, we know that Christ has been given to us and that he is our great reward. Father, I pray that uh, you might be with these brethren as they leave. We thank you, Father, for their safe trip that you've given us here, uh, despite the cold and the rain. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll be with them on their way home, and to be with them this week. And Father, we just continue to ask that uh, if there be any of your children here in our area, uh, Lord, that is uh, without a place of fellowship, that you might lead them our way. You might bring our paths to cross, that we might fellowship one with another, and that they might find a place to come to hear the word of God and to experience the the fellowship of the brethren the Lord, and I pray that you would just uh, guide and direct them wherever you would have them to go. We know that you are the great shepherd of the sheep, and that you herd your sheep where you desire them to be uh, at, and so Lord, we do not ever uh, think that we could ever be uh, a shepherd to your sheep, we know that that all things that are done for them and with them are at your discretion. And Lord, we just uh, pray that you would uh, let us ever be mindful of that. Uh, we know that you will do what is best for your people. And so, Father Lord, again, we just pray uh, that uh, you might guide us and direct us in all things that we do, that it might be accordance to your word, and that we might be uh, ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, I thank you for these, brethren. May you be with them today as they go. In Jesus' name we pray.